Cradeline Network. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 256th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast for two Americans here to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for April and May 1992, Prague 780 to 783. This time, it's a new listener episode as Dread, ABC Warriors, and Rogue Trooper all return. And we're starting the new thrills, Cola Commandos and Button Man. Yeah, very much polar opposites of those, but I'm gonna I I'm eating my words on Button Man. All them all those bad jokes. Mm. So Fox, this is I I I I this is a new listener episode where we kind of take a moment to to welcome folks who might be joining us midway through our thrill journey, because 256 is a lot of episodes and there's more content on the feed besides just a way to be like, hey, like if you want to jump in part way through. This is the episode for you. And so to that That's end. That's a good one. Yeah. So to that, I don't know. It's something I, I, I've, I've often wished podcasts would do. So I sort of want to be, be in the change I want to be, basically. Hell yeah. <laughs> but so to that end, we're going to do a quick history of 2000 AD to this date, go over some terms and concepts. And then as we go through the stories, this episode just sort of provide a little bit of background info, like sort of just, just assume, not, not assume that everybody's listened to all the previous episodes as we go into some of these thrills. Shouldn't be too Naturally. bad, but you just know, a little bit of extra background, I guess. It's the equivalent of a new season of a TV show where everybody shows up and they're like, hey, if it isn't my little brother who I've been involved in several <laughs> big schemes <laughs> with and his wife who I used to date when we were teenagers, that kind of stuff. Hey. <laughs> you know, everybody in, everybody says hello to their family members by saying what their family relationship is. You know, hey, cousin. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Beautiful. So, Okay. Fox, in late 1976 in England, there was a, a wave of oncoming family-friendly science fiction films in, uh, in, the, in the next year, reports of it. So stuff like Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and others. And that led comic publisher IPC to create a sci-fi comic that would try to ride that wave of pop culture, giving it the futuristic, then, the then futuristic sounding name of 2000 AD. All right. Ooh. <laughs> um, the comic was an instant success, and 15 years later, in 1992, it's one of the last ones standing in the a- ailing British comics market. 2000, you know, yeah. just ju- ju- jumping ahead here, but you know, we've got longer versions out there in previous episodes, and so <laughs> you can see it happen as it's happening. Uh, 2000AD was built on a foundation of quality with writers and artists that produced a ton of classic content. Though because of that, now many of the of those um, creators have been poached by U.S. companies <laughs> because they can pay them Damn a little better. Stateside, that's how it goes. And we're now in the early 90s in a period that's often maligned by long-term 2080 fans. But I assure you that there are quite a few diamonds in the rough here, even if this rough is particularly, like, not that great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we're, I'd say it's one of the glories of this show is finding these little 
beautiful nuggets of of decent comic book hidden under some uh not so good stuff indeed yeah and you know if you're if you've heard this and you're interested in in more detailed histories of 2000 AD I'd really recommend um the books Thrill Power Overload which is basically the official uh 2000 AD history and then uh some biographies or autobiographies I should say uh, the mighty one by former 2000 AD editor Steve McManus and Be Pure Be Vigilant Behave by former editor and prolific 2000 AD writer Pat Mills I should say both of those two books kind of end in the mid 80s so we are in an area that is just not that well documented it's mysterious we're we're you know walking through the jungle <laughs> like cutting down vines as we go and stuff in in, in, in this section machetes. exactly yeah listen that's what i talk about on my rap album as well fox just so you know my <laughs> verbal machete so okay Mom's spaghetti <laughs> Let's not get into this again. <laughs> so just so talk about terms. So 2000 AD, all right? It's a weekly sci-fi anthology comic, all right? So let me let me break that down for you, buddy. Weekly, you know, comes out every week. All right, there we go. 15 years of comics that we've covered so far. We're in the 780s. Um at when this podcast comes out, it'll be into the uh, 2230s. There's a lot of content, Fox. I can't stress it enough. It's a lot. Yeah, for, yes. Freak out. Um, so next, sci-fi covers just a wide gamut of sci-fi stuff. We've seen space operas, cyberpunk potboilers, fantasy epics complete with dragons. This issue even has like some lar- some basically contemporary 30 seconds into the future thrillers. It It's a wide church in 2000 AD, you know, um, yeah. like – it it's a sci-fi comic but there's you know it'll definitely do like fantasy if you if you differentiate those yourself um as a person um it doesn't do any specific kind of sci-fi or whatever i mean you know it's most like and and i i feel that variety is a real strength of it for sure Absolutely. Keeps things moving. Yeah. And then anthology means that the comic ha- is made up of smaller stories. Each comic has about four to six stories per week, usually maybe five or so pages long. Each story is by a different creative team of writer, artist, and letterer, though colorists are becoming more regular in 2000 AD as we enter our second year of full of being a full-color comic. Um, and these stories are generally not related to each other or – interacting with each other in, in any way though of course there's a larger universe around some of the main characters and things like that but you know right there's no you shouldn't expect these stories to be like working towards converging or anything like that they generally do their own thing so let's talk some terms here fox i got three big terms for our coverage of 2000 ad they are tharg thrill and prog all right <laughs> so Tharg is goes to the central conceit of 2000 AD, which is that it's a comic that's edited by a green-skinned alien from the from the uh, Beetlejuice system named Tharg, and that all of the creative types within the comic are actually robots that he's built. <laughs> that's why in credits and stuff, I'll call um, I'll, I'll call writers script robots and artists art robots, etc. 
Tharg has his own language, and we start every episode with a hearty Borag Thung Earthlets, which means greeting Earthlings, and each show which, with Splundig Verthrig, which means farewell. Lovely. Yeah, and I should say, for the record, all this is for fun, although in where we are in the 90s, everybody's starting to feel have much less fun with it, I think, as, as we'll see in the coming years. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, but, like, it's just, like... At its most, it just sort of adds a layer of fiction over the magazine production itself, I guess. A layer of a, of a kayfabe, yeah. as I like to say, as a pro wrestling fan. Or you could think of it as like the backstage stuff at like the Muppet Show or something like that. Like there is potential for fictional backstage drama to happen in the production of these comics, I guess. Mm. It's a having like a a editor that's a crazy character is a pretty is a pretty big um conceit of like 1970s era British comics I guess it's just yeah most, the the broadcaster kind of thing exactly right? yeah it's having a a presenter like a like a Rod Serling or or a Crypt Keeper or something like that <laughs> just sort of welcome you to the thing it's a whole it's whatever um. In 1992, the human editor of 2000 AD is Richard Burton, with Alan McKenzie as sub-editor. Former 2000 AD editor Steve McManus is managing editor over both 2000 AD and its sister publication, The Judge Dread Magazine, and Robert Davidge is the publisher. Anyway, Fox, whether real or fake, the main job of the editor of 2000 AD is to manage the creation and distribution of thrills, which we talk about a lot. Because thrills are the stories within an issue of 2000 AD. As I said, there's usually four to six of them, and they're that many pages long or so. For many years, thrills were almost always black and white in 2000 AD, but in 1991, but as of 1991, 2000s full color, though thrills can still be black and white for artistic reasons. Yeah, and I, I always find those to be very, those tend to be interesting uh stories in my mind definitely yeah we only had a couple so far but i'd say yeah it's a, it's a bold choice when it happens for sure um most thrills are part of series that might last anywhere from a few weeks to half a year though, though there are of course also one-off stories which we'll see later in this episode um we'll talk about these some of these different thrills as the show goes on and just fyi when i'm t- when we're talking about 2000 ad content i know i use the term thrill and story pretty much interchangeably i kind of maybe actually tend more towards thrill cuz i like to use the terms of art and stuff like that yeah the theory is that these all these stories are so thrilling they will eventually lead to thrill power overload but you know it's just sort of how it goes it's general stuff um, anyway, all these thrills then get put together to make a larger document known as a prog. A prog or program is an issue of 2000 AD. Um, so like today we're talking about program 780 to 783. It's based on a very 1977 concept of how computers work of, um, like here are, <laughs> you know, here's yes. this week's <laughs> program that you'll read and stuff like that. Um, but it's just another term of 2000 AD. You got to call them progs or else you look like you don't know what you're talking about when you talk about 2000 AD is basically it. Got to get this street lingo. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's also something that, I don't know, when I started getting into 2000 AD, I found the, why do you call them progs? What's that mean? 
was very mysterious. But that's basically just, you know, they just use it instead of issue, essentially. Mm. Uh, beyond that, there's a bunch of little terms that we say a lot, like the uh, the Tom Tully special is uh, is when a, <laughs> is, is is when a story ends with like a cliffhanger where there's a mysterious hand or claw in the foreground, possibly watching a view screen. Um, moving through a place sneakily is dieharding, and if you're moving through a, through a specific place sneakily, then you might be moving through that. A, a movie that was Die Hard on a in that place, you know, so mm-hmm. sneakily on a boat might be uh, under sieging, etc. Um, <laughs> and there, you know, other stuff like how we tr- use air horns to sort of denote ridiculous plot twists and things. But you'll you'll pick these up so as you go, fantastic. I'm sure, if you're new. If you're new. Yeah, but if, if you're confused, hey, drop me a line. I'm definitely happy to help. We got contact information at the end of the show. Um. Also, okay, so we're almost ready now, Fox, but I should mention that there isn't really a good way right now to read the comics in the original form that we're reading them in, in the original progs. Uh, copyright and other problems prevent 2080's current owners, Rebellion Developments, from releasing full progs from before they bought 2000 AD. They sell, uh, back progs from about two, from fall of 2002 onwards. That's sort of the earliest oh. that you can get legal progs, basically. You can find scanned versions in the dark corners of the internet, but that's all I'll say about that, basically. Otherwise, there are a lot of great collections where you can read many of the stories that we talk about if you want to. And if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics that we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case, Files 17, ABC Warriors, The Mech Files 2, Button Man Book 1, and The Judge Dredd Magazine number 329. Oh, I like that Button Man has a book one. That's promising. Yeah, no, it's a big point for sure. All right, but with that, let's get to these dang thrills, buddy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, starting with Thrill One, Judge Dredd. Man, talking about history. Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Ian Gibson, Steve Dillon and Gina Hart, lettering robot Tom Frame. Respect the badge. He earned it with his blood. Fear the gun. Your sentence might be death because I am the law. Judge Dredd, Fox. (laughs) Yeah, baby. He's the flagship character for 2000 AD. The cover of every issue says featuring Judge Dredd on it. Um, if you, if all you know about Judge Dredd are the two films for the comic version, you're probably better off splitting the difference between them. Like, yeah, there's, it's got the silliness of the Stallone movie, um, with the more the more serious and uh, gritty aspects of the uh, of the Carl Urban movie or the the 2012 movie, mm-hmm. Dread has appeared. Definitely oscillates between those. Yeah, two. no, definitely. Yeah, the, like honestly, that is a big point about <clears throat> current Dread in 1992 is just that the he vacillates a lot between what they want the tone of this comic to be. Um, Dread has appeared near continuously in 2000 AD from Prague to onwards, missing only two or three issues since. In, Easy Pete. Yeah. In theory, the timeline of Dread moves forward with reality. So it's gone from 2099 to 2114. As we've been reading, it's generally, it's about 122 years in the future. So as we're recording this, it's, uh, 2143 in Mega City One. Jesus. And, you know, you do hear 
People occasionally talk about Dread getting older. They've sort of tried to paper over that with some, with at least one rejuvenation at this point in 2018. Yeah. There'll certainly be more as time goes by. We're in a bit of the quiet before the storm for Dread as another mega epic adventure for the lawman is right around the corner. Like right around the corner. Ooh. For now, though, we start with a story called Almighty Dread, written by Garth Ennis with art by classic 2000 AD artist Ian Gibson. Within 2000 AD, he's probably best known for doing the art for the classic character Halo Jones, along with writing by Alan Moore. But he's done his share of Dread as well, including in the daily newspaper strips and stuff as well as in 2000 AD. His version right now of Dread is hyper-stylized, giant shoulder pads, big knee, knee and elbow pads with a tiny head. And we see Dread on his lawmaster motorbike, shooting up a sugar processing plant, sugar's illegal in Mega City 1, um, taking out a final perp by blasting through a wall, by, by, by driving right through a wall down to the street and just smashing them, smushing them. Yeah, he turns, turns, into, turns into ketchup. Good times. With his work done, Dredd drives off into the night as two men in brown coats look on. Wasn't he magnificent? Uh, it's real. It's a real creepy thing. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, these weirdos seem quite appreciative of Dredd's law enforcement style as they walk down a dark alley and spot a man taking a few swigs from the bottle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they ask him about the business of the Almighty, but before this guy can give them a donation or something, one of these cultists coshes the drunk over the head. The only donation we require is you. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Later in the night, at the height of the graveyard shift, Dredd gets a call about some bodies being pulled out of a rad pit, and he goes to respond after arresting someone for perving on the corner of Raymond and Hefner, which I'm assuming is like Hugh Hefner, a big thing about Mega City One actually, which you don't see this much that that much this episode is just that um a lot of like city streets and and the giant city blocks that people live in are named after celebrities, which are often used for ironic effect. Mm. Mm. Think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in a swanky apartment block, one of the cultists, Lord, who's named Lord Biggie, puts on ceremonial garb and goes to meet the others. He's the high priest of the Church of Almighty Dread. Man, they really went like balls to the wall on like all the decoration being very judge themed. Yeah, very judge themed. A lot of judge hel- like I like Biggie wears like a pope hat that looks like Dread's helmet, basically. Yeah, with like a golden eagle on top. Yeah, uh, it's over the top. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. They, it's um, they, and they're prepared to uh, to sacrifice that guy, that drunk. They uh, that they coshed in Dread's name. They sing a hymn, which I've decided is to the tune of "O Come All Ye Faithful," Fox. Yeah. Oh, come all you meatheads, creeps, punks, and doughballs, scumbags, and rat freaks to get what you deserve, and so on. <laughs> the priest and congregation Bravo. do a call and response of Dred's catchphrases, like, you're doing 50, creep, I am the law, etc., yeah, it's great. And then the eagle knife comes down. The man is sacrificed. Judge us in blood. Wow, now, now. So it's 
0115 hours in the morning, Fox, and Dredd is overseeing oh. some bodies being pulled out of the rat. Yeah, listen, no sleep for Dredd. Yeah, too early to go to these nasty rad pits. Seriously, especially because all these corpses seem to have his name carved into their skull, which is a bad time. <laughs> yeah. The acid pit has eaten away all the evidence except for an eagle dagger lodged in one of the body's chests. Another judge cracks wise about this whole situation, and Dredd just gives him a long, cold stare. Yeah, dude, do not, like, this is not a time for, for yucks and giggles. No. Uh, I like the uh, the senior officer, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, in the old days, we used to call that long walk talk, son. Just watch yourself. Yeah, long walk, that's when a judge has to quit and walk out into the cursed earth because they've done some big transgression, basically. So, you've messed around with Judge Dredd. Uh, Dredd tells the tech judges to search the bodies real closely for evidence and heads back out into the night. Meanwhile, the Church of Dredd holds secret services, glorifying the hero that has done so much for the city they live in. Lord Bicky gives a sermon that one day Dredd will have enough of the city and throw down all the evildoers of Mega City 1, giving out incredibly harsh uh, sentences for the minorest of offenses. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon, Bygar. My God. He's really sure that this is going to happen, and I feel like he's grossly miscalculated what's actually going to happen. Indeed, yeah. Meanwhile, we see Dredd beating up a bunch of gang members at a nightclub when he gets a message in his radio that they got some leads from the side judges. They've... uh did some psychic work on the dagger, and I should mention that, um, like, the thing about Mega City 1 and Judge Dredd, basically, is that it's kind of an omni science fiction setting, like... Yeah, anything goes, yeah, including interdimensional horror. Definitely, yeah, there's space travel, there's aliens, there's witches, there's magic, there's ex- there's interdimensional avatars of death, Dredd's been a werewolf, there's all kinds of stuff, Fox. Oh, that guy that was a spider? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an alien spider. Well, there there was a spider alien that could change shape. There was a lady who turned into a spider. There's all kinds of stuff. Back and forth, you know? There's robots with artificial intelligence. Oh, a dude that got some um, T-Rex blood inside of him and he turned into a T-Rex? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Outside the city, there's the cursed earth, which is full of T-Rexes brought back in the style of Jurassic Park, but it was 19, from 1978, so before Dr- Jurassic Park, I'm just saying. <laughs> and then it's linked, and then Dread crosses over with a ton of other 2080 stories, which also involve heavy, oh yeah, Dread has time travel too. Just any kind of science fiction thing you can think of. And so. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, exactly. It's what makes it so fun because the possibilities are endless. But so part of that is that there's just a division of psychic judges that use their powers to investigate crime and enforce the law. Yeah, and just general fascism. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, authoritarianism certainly. I don't wanna I don't wanna start getting into an argument about specific definitions, Fox. It's it's satire <laughs> more than anything else, you know. Yes. Satirism. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um so the psychics have tracked have tracked psychic emanations back to Biggie Shanks. So Dredd goes to check his apartment in the Billy Graham block, the American evangelist. Biggie isn't there, but his wife Teeny is. I like that name things. One's Biggie, one's Teeny. Dredd yeah. <laughs> looks around the apartment and almost immediately finds a weird shrine to himself in a side cupboard. Yeah. 
He's like, all right, well. Start talking, citizen. It better be good. I mean, it's going to be weird. It's definitely. (laughs) Guaranteed. Absolutely. At 0230, the Cult of Dread is doing another sacrifice as Dread himself has learned the truth about the cult and is not pleased to be the subject of a religion. No, I am pretty sure it violates some kind of law. Well, I mean, at the very least, um, you aren't supposed to use, like, the images of judges in advertising and stuff like that. So, you know. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure they crack down on theocracy just as bad. I mean, if you're taking donations, you know, then you're probably in trouble. I don't know. Well, and murdering people, I guess. Murking people is probably not good. <sighs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Fair, fair point indeed. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it into control and then smashes into the church. Lord Biggie is shocked when Dredd calls him a doughball and a moron. And when he... Oh. Oh, and boy. when Dredd tries Blasphemy. to... Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? I thought we were cool. And when Dredd tries to arrest the priest, he's proven himself a heretic. A false Dredd! So he too must be killed. God, really mental mental exercises going on there, I guess. Definitely. Dredd isn't into all this. Um, you know, listen, he isn't a false Dredd. He is the law. The cultists open fire on him, and he hits him with a high X round, which just seems to blow oh, yeah. most of them away immediately. <laughs> and also, get, again, just mentioning things, Dred's, um, Dred's lawgiver pistol um, can shoot a bunch of different bullets just as he needs them. There's regular bullets. There's high explosive bullets. Armor-piercing bullets. There's, Hot shots. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, I, I guess, a flare gun. There's bullets that um, – there's ricochet rounds that bounce around walls and stuff like that. And there's uh, heat seekers, which um, can follow a target around corners or whatever. Hell yeah. And probably other ones as the situations require. But those are the main ones. <laughs> Biggie goes to escape as Dredd shoots him in the leg. And when he goes through it – and then the priest goes through a door that seems to just open up to a high ledge above the city. It doesn't seem very safe, Fox. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's some OSHA violations here. Always OSHA violations. Um, Dread grabs Biggie by the arm before he can fall. And the priest of Dread apologizes for what he said. Dread is, of course, the real Dread. He, his arm hath offended Dread. And so he shall cut it off. And he does. And uh, not smart. With a bloody schwack and then falls to his death. <laughs> dumb. Real dumb. Yeah, Dread calls everybody in. The crime real dumb, and Sue Mothers arrive to clean up the mess. The surviving members of the cult are judged. I don't like my name being taken in vain. 30 years, creeps. <laughs> Not great. Hey, excellent times for the Judge Dread Man. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good opener for people who haven't read this before. I, this is as ridiculous. Uh, I mean, this is a... I would say a very light seasoning in terms of the ridiculousness we're usually in on. Yeah, but I, I feel like if you can get this one, like I really like Ian Gibson and um, – Oh, hell yeah. Like I really think that this sort of gives you at least a tone of Judge Dredd and actually I think does kind of do some stuff to it – do, it does do some stuff to just set up Judge Dredd as this important character within Mega City 1, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Which now we move on to our to our thir- to our fourth story of dread this month with a uh, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, the team from Preacher, working on this story with coloring from Gina Hart. And sadly, Fox, by my count, this is Steve Dillon's final work in 2000 AD. 
Um, There will be another issue um, episode of like that haphazard story in 1999, but that's like a Mm -hmm. leftover comic with no words on it that was used as a writing con as a writing contest. I don't really count that as a as an entry, I guess. It's a bummer because I really like Steve Dillon's work. Um, I always associate him with our podcast because sadly he passed right when we started releasing it, I guess. So it's just sort of like an early, I don't know, like big noteworthy thing that happened. Um, But he's off to greener pastures right now, heading off to the U.S. We'll see the fruit of those of that of those greener pastures over in Big Meg One eventually, which will reprint the first third or so of Preacher in the late nineties. Damn, it's a bummer, but that's life. You know these uh, these talents they can't stay in England. England won't pay them enough to keep them. Is the basic uh, is the basic point of things. Um, And speaking of greener pastures, Fox. Oh, God. (laughs) This story is called A Magic Place. And we see a dude named named Dink Jowett who has found a lovely garden in the middle of Mega City One and a cool chick in it named Rosie. And they're making out, having a good time when they're met by an older lady named Martha who offers them tea. Are you too decent? Mm. I like how she checks to see if they're if they're in the nutty. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure sure that's a question born from a hard experience. (laughs) <laughs> so we got a quick recap of the previous installment in this story, which is when Dink stole a, a rose from this garden to impress Rosie in the pages of the 1986 sci-fi special, which I discussed with my buddy Drew in episode 146 of this podcast in spring of 2019. Uh, basically, though, Dink broke into this rich lady, Martha Fitzheimer's place. She She's got this botanical garden in the middle of the city. He got caught, but after he got out of the cube, she let him come and stay in the garden good times. And so it's been four or five years. Um, and, and this is just another example of Garth Ennis, who's a relatively new dread writer, really drawing from previous dread, mm. dread stories and kind of being like, oh, well, let's do a, sec- uh, a sequel to that story or let's do some more stuff yeah, on, exactly. on, on this story. Cause like I, I read them, you know, when I was a kid or something, because like, while five years ago isn't that long ago, I think Carthenis is like 21 at the um as we're reading this. He was like a, a teenager when he read those. Um, Damn, or at least quite young is what I'm trying to say. Um, elsewhere, Dred's taking out a bunch of perps, but he doesn't really care about them. He wants to know about their boss, Blender McCoy. The perps say Blender will kill them if he talks, but Dred does paybacks him. He says, "I'll kill you," and then. <laughs> We cut to Blender himself, who's this mega city criminal who's got kind of a chef aesthetic going. Um, yeah, and completely covered in blood. Exactly, yeah. And he and his gang have hijacked a hover car. Indeed, the driver of the car isn't needed, so Blender just pulls out an actual Blender, drops it on the driver's oh, head, and processes him. I like that it's called a Swillinex Chopmatic, Chopomatic. It's interesting because, like, I'm just thinking of a regular, also unique way to murder, and a unique and a unique blender generally, just to have one that's wide and shallow enough to fit a human head in there. You know, that's for. I mean, listen, he's he's been in the blender game a long time. This is probably a special order. Oh, that's you know? true. Yeah, you got a custom made by the grandson of that blend tech guy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, will it blend? Yeah, the will it blend guy. Don't breathe this. Um... <laughs> They're looking for a hideout as Martha Fitzenheimer looks out on her garden and says, Oh, it's too bad, kids. Summer's over. 
very ominously. And the Blender mm. crew spot the place as a perfect spot, as a perfect situation to lie low in. Uh-oh. Next time, blood and roses. Oh, no. This perfect utopia for these people is going to get chopped up. Mmm. Gonna... Set, set, this, set this blender to disaster. It's going to be puree mayhem, folks. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was wonderful. Really got my finger on the pulse of these jokes. Oh, oh. All right. That's bad. All right, all right. Keep a lid on it, buddy. We're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on to our next story thrill to cola commandos mm. speaking of futuristic beverages fox uh, god look this is a this guy's a tall drink of water mm, script robot steve parkhouse art robot anthony williams letting robot annie parkhouse new thrill this one's been long advertised since at least the summer of 1990, by my reckoning, and it does feature the husband-wife writing and lettering team of Stephen Annie Parkhouse. But that's all I can really say about this thing. <laughs> On an icy landscape, Fox. <laughs> a dude with bluish-white skin and hair and a lot of metal on the soft parts of his body, shirtless in black pants and red gloves, walks over a wintry landscape with internal narration about the end of the world. He says the destruction of humanity is written in the moon. Has the moon okay. changed? One way or another, we're, we stand on the brink of whatever. At, yep, and I uh, guess he's not phased by all this snow. No, just being shirtless, living it up. <laughs> In a sci-fi cityscape, two dudes are driving in a hover car and a – sorry, a cool – a uh, sort of cool dude Don Draper type and a nerdy dude. And the nerdy dude gives the other guy a copy of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales. But all the non – the first edition. Yeah. It seems very expensive generally. But all the non-nerd dude wants to do is watch the TV mounted in the nerd's uh, dashboard. Which – Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. The nerd laments TV watching as we learn that the West is starting a new crusade supported by papal paratroopers and tanks covered in OK Cola branding. The two men talk about this. It seems that they work for OK Cola and it's supporting a crusade in exchange for being able to play soda machines in St. Peter's in the Vatican City. So bizarre. <laughs> Uh, we see the company's CEO in a commercial talk about OK Cola safeguarding the Christian world. And I, uh -huh. we learned that the non-nerd works in advertising, the nerd works in R&D. Uh, the pair head into... I wonder, if I, I wonder if OK Soda was released during this time. Because that, that was a soda company, OK Soda. Really? I don't remember that one. Let's... let's let, let me take a quick consultation with my, uh, with my research assistant, uh, Google here. Okay, so did 1993, the year after this. Go freak oh, wow. out, okay. buddy. It, yeah, it was owned by Coca-Cola. So hmm. you saw it here first, folks. Something. Uh, it, it was, uh, I like how they said it's courted the American Generation X demographic. This is the time where you're going to be looking for those Xers, man. They don't care about nothing. All right. <laughs> Careful, not Shingle Bowski. This soda needs to be okay. 
I made a big about, and that, that movie takes place in '92. Oh man, okay, any, or in, in the late '90s, at, or in the, in the early '90s at least. Um, yeah. Anyway, the pair head into work as we see scenes of destitute people outside their car window. The nerd Hector is in R and D and has just developed a smoky maple flavor of cola. But something yeah. new is branding, and they talk about someone firebombing a vending machine, calling it blasphemy, and head up an elevator. At last, Hector arrives at his office, but it's been ransacked. Oh, geez, what's happened? I hope nothing's happened to my burnt maple or whatever. <laughs> That's such a weird soda flavor generally. Like, Feels like a Jones soda thing. Yeah. I mean, and just kind of a British thing, I guess, just because I feel like, I don't know. They've got different flavors than we have in America. In <laughs> prawn, prawn snack chips. Yeah, in the U.S., we just have nacho <laughs> cheese and like spicy, basically. Oh, and ranch. Those are our three flavors. <laughs> but like, yeah, shout out to shout out to ranch. Yeah, in 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 England, you got prawn. You got a bunch of seafood flavors, like pickled onions or whatever. All kinds of stuff. Pretty good. Listen, I'm not against it. I'm just not familiar with it. So Hector Hector Doldrum, research chemist, has had his office all smashed up, and there's a chimp and a diaper in his lab. Oh no! Yeah, this doesn't seem like a good look. Why is there a chimp in a diaper? Would be immediately the first thing I would do after screaming. Yo, I, I'm scared of uh, of uh, big apes, Fox. Even baby ones. I do. They'll... Chimpanzees are not to be fucked. Yeah, seriously, with. things are scary at first, but Hector realizes that the ape is just scared himself, and soon's resting in oh. his arms until. A boffin type with a security goon arrive and snag the animal. The boffin apologizes for any inconvenience, and soon all three apes, those are the two humans and the chimp, are headed back to the elevator to the eighth floor. <laughs> Hector's wonders what they're doing on the eighth floor, only to be reminded by his carpool buddy that their building doesn't have an eighth floor. What? Then a soda <laughs> machine blew, blows up. Then we see that blue, bluish white dude swimming in the Atlantic with some whales until a, a science fiction sub shows up and he climbs aboard. <laughs> Seems like he's having a real good time swimming with those whales. There's just a lot going on in this comic, Fox. I don't understand any of it. Hector checks the OK building, and indeed, you can count it as only seven floors, despite what he saw. He tells his buddy about the concept of interdimensional architecture. What? But that buddy Gordon is skeptical. Yeah, what the? Yeah, I skeptical. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you weird person? <laughs> Hector calls home and says that he'll be late, much to his wife's chagrin. She tells her kids and her kid and their kids are clearly assholes. Oh, man. She seems nice, though. That night, Hector stays late. And when he does that, um, you know, once everybody else seems to have left, the elevator for the eighth floor is there. He rides mm. it up, and it is a weird extra-dimensional floor. Foxy, you're dumb, because that's what it is. That is now this is dumb. This is just dumb. Just have an eighth floor. Nah, at the end... Have it be guarded. Nah. Why does it need to be in another dimension? It's gotta be in another dimension. At the end of a mind-bending yeah. hallway, he finds that chimp from before, who points him to a row of chimps just sitting on kind of a cyber bench with the tops of their heads cut off and wires going into their brains. But, okay, that's fine. What? Come on. Got some brain wires? You don't want that. I don't. I, I am not. I'm I'm anti-brain wire. I'm anti-having the top of my head cut off. I should get bugs in there yeah, or don't. something, you know? I don't want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How are you going to keep that clean? That's why you got to get one of those, you know, 
you you want a a, a nice looking polished glass dome yeah. like like it. more than the fact that that would kill me or, or expose my brain tissue to just being <laughs> like messed with i just don't want flies to land on my brain fox i really don't that's it's that's disrespectful me. to say the yeah, least. Yeah, come on. They poop when they land, Fox. So Hector's shocked yeah. by what he's seeing, and then an alarm goes off. He goes to avoid the security goons and does so by hiding in a dark room where he finds humans with their heads cut off, top of their heads cut off, and no. the wires in their brains. Real gross, but I guess that's the next step after chimps with diapers. Yeah, you got to go upwards, you know? The goons open the... I wonder, you know, do you do you then just, like, because they're humans, do you just, like, constantly have them sitting on the pot as opposed to in diapers? Uh, you probably use, like, catheters or something, I'd guess. Yeah, then why wouldn't they do that to the apes? It's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean... I just feel we... like if you're if you're going to go the, the diaper route... You know? I mean, as I recall, the humans are all wearing like coveralls in there and stuff. They are naked on those uh, chairs. Oh, that's true. Maybe they're maybe all the poops coming out of their brain. Maybe they're only there for a couple hours and then they're useless or something. Who's to say? Yeah, they just clock out and go back home. It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> so the goons open the door, but in the darkness, it seems that Hector has managed to fool them by taping some wires to his head and pretending to be a brain dude. Well, I mean, they are only okay goons. Exactly. Ooh, yeah, moderate. It, he seems to have fooled them even when he sneezes, but when Hector leaves the rooms, the goons are waiting for him. Like, come on, buddy. We're just having a They're joke like, here. Okay. He's brought before a giant yellow screen with green text on it that fires him and demands that he turn out all of his company cards and passes and stuff, as well as seemingly his clothes. He's down to his underwear. He's wearing yeah. company <laughs> pants, I guess. Um, Doldrum shouts at the screen. And is then dumped through a secret hatch in the floor. Falls yeah, screaming into the tube. night. Next time on Cola Commandos, afternoon of the living dead. Yeah, whatever. Indeed. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't. There's so, so many things going on here without, after four, four progs, right? Uh, and no information. Yeah. Well, let I'm, me, I'm, I'm let me tapping my foot. Let me assure you, Fox, that we will be adding more layers to this story over the next uh, few few issues. <laughs> layers? That's right. Yeah, we not, right now we got the doldrum layer and we got that really white dude layer. So, you know, got to add some more stuff. <laughs> okay. Anyway, speaking of uh, the simplicity of chaos, Fox, or lack thereof. Oh, God, yeah. Let's go to Thrill 3 ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. Warriors. Script robot Kev Walker, Pat Mills, and Tony Skinner. Art robot Kevin Walker, letting robot Steve Potter. Atomic, bacterial, chemical. The ABC Warriors are proof against it all. Once simple grunts for disaster rescue operations, and before that, an elite force making Mars safe for human habitation. The ABC Warriors. Yeah, listen, exciting times. The ABC Warriors now find themselves in the far future, taking part in an admittedly insane quest to learn the mystic ways of chaos with a K from their de facto leader, Deathlock, who's like a uh, a mystic, a robot mystic knight kind of guy. A paladin, as they call him. Indeed. 
Beside him, there's Ramrod, Str- Ramrod Straight and Square Hammerstein, the basis of the ABC robot in the uh, first Judge Dredd movie. Comical sewer droid Rojaws, expert sniper Joe Pineapples, bestial bruiser Mongrel, treacherous spybot Black, jo- uh, Black Blood, big jobs obsessed idiot uh, and dozerbot Mechquake, and sexy new team member Morrigan. Hell yeah. In, She's got a star. Yeah, she throws throwing stars at people. They got mystical thingamajigs. In our previous adventures, the warriors were nearly destroyed by evil scientists, so we start this installment with art and writing by Kev Walker, um, with the robots being refurbished and brought back online. We see uh, Hammerstein all buff and sexy, serving his, surveying his fellow warriors, and sees them all rapidly falling into chaos, which Deathlock is leading them into. There's also a mention here that uh, Morgan has had a pretty full, like a, a, a color scheme swap and stuff like that. She looks a little different yeah. from her initial uh, uh She's got version. some purple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's more of a stealth murder bot now than a, than a barmaid bot. Anyway, red upgrade. Yeah. In the end, he knows he'll continue fighting beside his comrades even as they get crazier because he faces a simple choice, fight or die. Yeah. It's like when I got into <sighs> it's like when I got into uh, skateboarding the late 80s fun. Skater die. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So Pat Mills and Tony Skinner take over on writing as we approach the lur- the lunar alignment on the planet Hecate. When all three moons will align themselves in a total eclipse of the sun and heart, we see mm. <laughs> the human colonists of Akate having an illegal moon rave where various illegal drugs and music are imbibed, at least until some very space marine inspired secret police arrive and start breaking everything up with headbutts <laughs> and so forth. And you gotta gotta take this moon gre- or this flying greased up lady and and make sure that uh, we pummel her. That's right, beating everybody up. We get explanation. I like I like the okay. I like the the comment that he makes here. If if uh, the governor made air illegal, we'd stop you from breathing. Definitely, and indeed, we hear from that governor Rhodes Curd. Um, it's got a great look, man. He he looks like bad governor material. Definitely, yeah. We see him being interviewed on TV. I would describe him as a uh, as the original as as original flavor Nick Fury, I guess. With oh, yeah. his uniform and his eye patch and his white sideburns and craggy face and stuff like that. He's also got the sash and the symbol on it is the same symbol as that weird painted face mime guy priest. Yeah, I mean, because I, I think that's the symbol of the Terran Empire, I believe. Okay. So, just, yeah, sort of a good um, sort of continuation of symbols that we've seen before across all of these authority types that Deathlock is killing as he claims heads for Hakate. Yay! Heads. Yeah, anyway, he claims to be understanding of the youth and their transgressions, but they're messing with forces they don't understand. Off camera, his underlings worry about the night of the blood moon, but Kurt explains that, you know, they've always got Operation Jove, so if worse comes the worse, they can blow up the moon! (laughs) uh... Keep it on the table. Anyway, Kurd's son pulls him aside and admits that he went to a moon rave. And I should say that on the news program that he was just on, Kurd said, hey, if my son told me that he'd been to a moon rave, I'd be understanding. But instead, 
Kurt just slaps his son in the face and disowns him. I don't have a son anymore. Yeah, it's it's real like real bad. I mean, this is what this is just another example of what we've been doing with his heads for Hikate's story, where we've got to establish the new target and then make him as evil as possible as quickly as possible, basically. Yeah, they gotta be they gotta be double bad. <laughs> like there can't be any nuance that like he also loves his son or anything like that. Nah. <laughs> Bring up the sun so you can beat the sun. Yeah. Nah, he's just all over evil, so it's fine. No calories yeah. in this um, in this kill. It's like a, a early 90s diet food. It's a good thing. Um, or whatever. <laughs> uh, that'd be no fat. Never mind. Anyway, Kurt drives out in his space limo. When the warriors find him, their massive assault takes out all of his escorts, but the limo itself is undamaged. And through the window, he calmly explains that this vehicle is immune to all robot attacks, so you guys can just screw. Get out of here. Yeah, it's uh, it's the... It's the playground equivalent of saying, I have the shield that makes this so that it doesn't happen. Yeah, he's a, and everyone just, it's a one-upsmanship. Yeah, he's on base. You can't, you, you, you can't hurt him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I should mention that through all this, Deathlock is writing to his students at the College of Chaos with two Ks. And is also engaging in some light-hearted, murderous brinksmanship with a professor named Steer Crook. Anyway. This is a real whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all the warriors try to break into Kurd's car, but it's no use. Like, you know, Mongrel tries to pick it up and it's like, oh, like, no, it's too slippery to be picked up. And you can't put your weird star on it to find cracks because there's no cracks. You can't hit it with your hammer or shoot at it. You even Deathlock tries his crazy magic, but psychic attacks can't budge it either. And he's. Yeah, it's magic proof, punk. That's right. And he's fine to wait because it's only a matter of time before his goons, the Empire's elite shock troops, the Imperial Rottweilers, show up. And hey, indeed they do. They are also extremely space marine Their tanks crush Hammerstein, explode Joe Pineapples and Mongrel. Black Blood and Mechquake go down in a hail of gunfire. Morgan's cut in half by a chain fist. Only Deathlock survives, and they then level a battery of neuropsychic disruptors at him. Which really, I mean, they did a Ghostbusters. Yeah, definitely. Soon enough, we see that disruptor firing and Deathlock exploding in a glaze of ma- in a blaze of magical glory glaze of magical glory buddy and the rottweiler <laughs> says to Kurd that it's safe to come out of the car he does so but oh no the whole thing was an illusion the abc warriors are alive and there's no rottweilers to be seen uh snap and it's because the you've been in the moon yeah or the moons of Hakate have sent him crazy visions that his car wasn't able to block anyway Deathlock wraps the governor in a newly shed skin of a nightmare, which is one of which is like uh, a mystical night being in on this planet. I mean, there. I'll tell you this: it's very clear what that is. Uh, like, there's there is some. I mean, because I guess for people who didn't might not remember, this came from. Uh, a oh, woman yeah, from a woman who going through a sexual transformation yeah, turned into like a uh, um, a monster horse lady, you know that kind of stuff. There's some great imagery with that, and all I'm thinking is Hyman at this Yikes. point. 
Well, it does. Um, you know, one way or another, it seems that these skins contract when they are exposed to sunlight. So they wrap Kurt in it, and he basically just gets turned into a five foot long string of a of a sl- in, into a five foot long human slim jim with a head on top that pops right off. The fifth head for Hikate. Didn't even need to cut his head off. We just stretched him in sun. Uh, whatever yeah, they snapped right Gross into that skin. dude jim buddy oh only two heads man. left now they head back to the ship but they gotta go there by heading away from where it actually is because chaos is nearing its peak and joe pineapples can't handle it he has a total mental breakdown falling to his knees crawling like a baby or crying like a baby oh dear very out of character for old Indeed, Joe. Indeed, he's usually extremely cool. Hammerstein knocks him outside, upside the head with his hammer, and they drag him back to his ship. There, Deathlock does some robo-surgery, removing the concept of robo-coolness from Joe Pineapples. Which, what the fuck? Well, Deathlock explains that if a human wants to be more like a robot, that is extremely cool and should be... Um, and, and should be emulated. But a robot trying to be more human to be cool, that's stupid and must be eliminated. I like Joe Pineapple. I think you're going to like him after this, actually, as well, Fox. Okay. Um, Deathlock goes deep into Pineapple's brain to remove the barriers preventing the fractal wave of chaos within his head from expanding. It starts to grow and iterate within Joe's mind. Soon he'll be truly mad. Or at least as sane as Deathlock is. I like how it's a Mandelbrot set. Yeah, it's that. I I I know it's that like iconic like uh, um, fractal yeah. image thing. That it is called the Mandelbrot set. Cool. I learned something today as well. All right. <laughs> Next time on ABC Warriors, more chaos. It's actually a really great song that I'll share with you later called the Mandelbrot nice. set, where a guy m- sings. The mathematics behind why it why it looks the way it does. Uh, I just remember seeing a big a big deal about it as a uh, as a skit in the midst of one t- of the one time I saw Blue Man Group in New York City, Fox. Oh. So whatever. I what is even involved with that show? We got to talk about that at yeah. some point. No, they, they basically just just showed a video about uh, fractals, basically. I think they they were getting ready for a larger um, skit in the actual um, theater or whatever. (laughs) Anyway, hey, listen, we're talking about these stories, Fox, talking about these thrills. But you know what I'm tired of talking about? What's that? These thrills. So let's talk about non-thrills, covers, and nerve setters. This is where we talk about all the stuff in each prog that isn't a thrill, like the cover of the comic, the inside, the inside cover of the comic, which is usually called or which is called Tharg's Nerve Center, where there's editorials and discussions about what comics are on sale and upcoming events and stuff. Then the back inside cover, the input page with fan art and letters from readers, as well as any other like pinups or other comments and ads that take my fancy, essentially. I don't give a hoot about any of that. I want to learn about winning a totally unique Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah, we're getting to it. Um, I should say, like, um, you know, I don't call it all the ads, but the ones, uh, but I mentioned new ones and ones that's, uh, you know, I, I think are cool. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear folks who have had letters published in in 2000 AD. If you're listening to this, if you've got one coming out, I'll shout you out 
But man, if you don't tell me, I'm not really paying too much attention to the names of all these letters. There's a lot of them. All right. Fox Prog 780. New thrills and a free gift. As Sean Phillips draws Judge Dredd exploding into action, this issue comes with an SCU, a security clearance unit, which is a red wallet kind of thing that you can hold the other upcoming gifts in the next few procs. Yeah. In the Nerve Center, Tharg welcomes us to the Blast and teases oh. a few upcoming thrills like Luke Kirby, Flesh, Book Three, Wireheads, and Firekind. PR bot Igroid explains the SCU, announces a comic signing at Forbidden Planet Comic Book Shop in London, and gives a list of Beetlejuicean awards like Squawk's Deck Thargo and the new Sato Thargo, which is someone who owns every issue of 2000 AD. Damn. Yeah. That's got that's pretty difficult. It's definitely becoming a larger and larger task just in terms of like raw floor space. <laughs> um, he also announces the winners of the recent UK Comic Art Awards, where 2080 cleaned up, only losing, I think, three or four awards. Mid-prog, there's an ad for a contest, which you mentioned, which is to design the faceplate of your own sweet Nintendo Game Boy. They even give you a blank Game Boy template to draw on as you see fit. If you win, you'll get a custom one of your own, made by professional artists. Hell yeah, baby. Yeah, I've definitely seen a ton of these. I remember in the old Nintendo Power magazine, they'd give you this template, and that was a pretty common fan art, right? And mm -hmm. just people drawing cool Game Boys. Um the prog ends with an input page of reader mail with fan art of a picture of an old age judge deaf. Letters complaining about the wrapping paper cover of Prog 722, asking how many people have a full set of 2000 AD. Another who has every magazine monthly and special as well as progs. And he calls Fi on some story inconsistencies and requests more sex and violence if at all possible. <laughs> <laughs> Prague ends with an ad for Sisters of Mercy, uh, for the Sisters of Mercy Merc uh, Merciful release label and a couple new singles that they're putting out in that month. Prague 781, Hot Metal, the Warriors are cooking as Kevin Walker uh, draws the Warriors against a flaming background. Very clearly what's going to be their Christmas card this year, definitely. Um <laughs> This comic also comes with a pair of ID cards, a frequent traveler card for Virgo Spaceways, and a Wally and a ID card for the Wally Squad, the Mega City One Plain Clothes Division. Yeah, yeah. In the Nerve Center, Thug plugs both these cards and the recently released uh, specials, and we cover the sci-fi, the 2008 sci-fi special and the Judge Red Mega Special uh, last episode, actually, and we'll get to the action special in a couple weeks. Igroid is also talking about the transition of the Judge Dredd magazine to a fortnightly comic, which uh, and we're beginning our coverage of that in a now once a week format this very week on Friday in the Big Meg One podcast. Hell yeah. I, yeah, I hope you like me talk about comic books, Fox, because you're getting a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-prog, there's an ad for the release of the director's cut of Aliens with, with 17 extra minutes. And, and I the hope tagline this time it's more is like I feel like it 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 is accurate but weak. Yeah, release the Cameron cut. <laughs> oh man, I hope that makes just sense when this. I hope Snyder cut references make sense when this episode comes out, Fox. Like, I mean, it's, he's it's just time. gonna add a bunch of unicorn BS to it. Put some more do backs in. Oh man. The input page has pictures of Judge Igor from Count Ducula 
and Judge Richard O'Brien, who's chief of the Crystal Maze, some very um, British TV show-centric fan art here. <laughs> Letters include thanks for um, for a dad for buying two th- issues of 2000 AD, questions about um, Ulysses, the book, and several compliments Ulysses. for – <laughs> And several compliments mm-hmm. for Skiz and a subliminal letter asking for more Zenith. We're getting it pretty soon, buddy. Don't worry. Oh, nice. About 10 progs or so. The prog ends with a good shopping guide, which is a bunch of small ads for a bunch of different comic book related stuff, as well, including stores, mailing services, and at least one like pay, fo- uh, 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 pay phone adventure game kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Calls cost 48p per minute peak rate, 36p per minute cheap rate. What the fuck? Got to call in, call in the morning or something. Prog, um, Prog 782, Blazing Combat. Boom. A lot of big explosion ones, I guess because of the Mega Blast as we're going through here. Friday's dodging <sighs> explosions in this Ron Smith cover. This comic has more ID cards, Fox. Um, this one's our, um, lets you join the search and destroy agency and become a strontium dog. And then a card marking you as a squawks deck Thargo, an active fan of 2080. In the nerve center, Tharg's teasing what's ahead, including the upcoming dread mega epic judgment day. Um, and then upcoming new installments of Revere, Bradley, Finn, Dead Meat, and Luke Kirby. Though most of those won't be out until the low 800s. Oh, whoa. And slain not until 1993. There's a picture of a Rogue Trooper miniature by uh, Tony Gregory, which I thought was cool. They said there's a couple more of these. They don't show them, and I'm bummed about that. Yeah. The input page has pictures of <laughs> Judge Lemming and the Judge Juves, based on cartoon versions of Bill and Ted. <laughs> I know you love that Judge Lemming. Letters compliment the complete Judge Dredd and ask about Tharg's changing face. A writer must choose between Tharg and his wife and has chosen Tharg. A prog was used to block a toddler's bathroom accident. We have writers worrying about getting gray hair and another asks what Skiz was all about, while another wants more animals named after 2080 characters in the in the prog. You know, come on. Give, huh. give Dredd a dog. I'm ready. <laughs> Maybe not. Seven, prog 783, Guns and and Roses. Simon Colby draws a dread cover going f- full heavy pedal. Well, because there's flowers oh, and stuff. Okay. You see what I'm talking about? In the nerve center, Tharg is anticipating kind words from the Mega Blast. And Igroid is talking up the release of the Judge Dread magazine fortnightly. Um, mid-prog, there's an ad for the Milton Bradley game Hero Quest. Which is a... Games Workshop-based kind of D&D board game that your buddy Conrad owes a lot of his future life path to. Just get into these miniatures and stuff. <laughs> it says, once you get into it, you'll never be the same. Hard agree. Mid-issue. There's a contest to win the head of Tharg. Enter now, but no later than May 23rd, 1992. It seems to be just to get a, uh, a green Tharg face mask, it looks like. The yeah, sunglasses weird. not included. Um, also, the 2080 house ad ahead of our time. The smiley Tharg appears underneath it, of course. Yeah. The input page is pictures of a fast-running Billy Skiz and Joe Pineapples as an actual pineapple. <laughs> I believe the Billy Skiz thing is a reference to Billy Wiz, who's like a British comic book, like super fast superhero kind of character. Okay. Um, there's a letter from a kid named Zenith who nominates his dad for a Kriltro Thargo. 
a girl's boyfriend reads 2000 AD and she writes a letter to get a cap for him because all – I should say all letters and pictures that are sent in to the um, input page, if they're published, you get a free 2000 AD baseball cap. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. The previous gifts have been mugs and uh, in the long, long ago – they gave out uh, actual like like a money like just like a a postal order or something like a check for like five five pounds or something. These days they give out graphic novels. It's a good time. Cool. Yeah. Um, a reader corrects a slight misstatement about when thrills would start, and this question is about the uniform of trainee judges, and that's all for these dang non-thrills, Fox. Woo! Oh, we made it. They Not weigh the me end. down, you know. Prison of non-thrills, Fox. Preaching to the choir. Thrill for Rogue Trooper. Yay. Uh, script robot Mike Fleischer, art robot Ron Smith, letting robot Alita Fell. So, okay, Fox, so just some background. Most of the 1980s, Rogue Trooper, a blue-skinned, genetically engineered infantry super soldier, was a top 2000 AD character as he traveled the planet of New Earth in search of a traitorous general with only his his only companions the AI recordings of his war buddies uploaded into pieces of his gear. Rogue eventually miss got those days. Yeah, listen, we we didn't like him at the time, but I miss him. Uh, Rogue got his revenge, and the character got a bit stale. So in 1989, he was rebooted to the grittier to a grittier character called Friday. He still got the blue skin, but Friday's on his own in a dark future Earth where a mega corporation's machinations has left the planet in dire straits. We recently finished a story where Friday fought corporate aliens trying to use invasive plant life to change the world's atmosphere to sell artificial gills that would let people live. Um, and all of this took place in a, for some reason, frozen Sahara desert. Yep. This okay. story, yeah, th- we're, we're, we're picking up this story. It's now being drawn by Ron Smith, who's done some classic dread work and deserves much better. And Mike Fleischer, an American writer best known for writing uh, the, the DC characters, uh, the Spectre and Jonah Hex in the 70s and 80s. I haven't read those comics, but I can tell you that his 2008 D work is not that great. And this story that we go to is called Apocalypse Dreadnought. And starts at the end of the previous story as Friday and his last sidekick, a local African man we've been calling Shades because he wears sweet sunglasses. <laughs> Which do are a now quick... green shades, you know? Yeah. He's really putting that look together. Totally. And they do a quick recap of the previous story. I should say that actually the story before this ended this way too with um, Friday talking to his sidekick from that story and then moving on basically. Yep. Can't have friends. Gotta leave. That's right. Friday says this was just a skirmish. The real world is good. The real war is going to be getting off planet and taking the fight to the corporations. But there's no way off Earth anymore because there was a big evacuation of the place in the initial Friday story. Unless, of course, you believe the rumor about an alien spacecraft, a dreadnought that crashed off the off the uh, coast of India many years ago. Okay. And before Shades can even finish telling that story, Friday has rushed to a nearby ship and taken off, leaving Shades behind. Really inconsiderate, I feel like. Yeah, no, they're going to get back. Seriously. Well, maybe Shades is like, I don't know. He can, I don't know. It's That is a good question, though. <laughs> um, Friday approaches the Indian Ocean when he's suddenly targeted by a bunch of missiles. No, wait, not missiles, but electromagnetic torpedoes projecting an energy field, I guess? Whatever. 
Friday shoots a bunch of the torpedoes down, but in the end, there's no use, and he gets trapped in this kind of laser cube that the torpedoes form around him. His ship goes haywire, crashing onto the deck of some kind of prison boat, surrounded by netting with big guns and stuff like that on the ends of them. Yeah, I wouldn't want anyone leaving, I guess. It really reminds me of the oil derrick prison in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, Fox. Oh, yeah. FYI. Yeah. But anyway, he um, cuts himself out of his seatbelt and is confronted by a bunch of other prisoners. He says, oh, you would have been better dying because you're never getting out of this here space prison. Yeah, he is. He really is. A weird pink and blue robot suddenly appears here to pro- here to entry process Friday as a new prisoner, complete with some blood tissue sampling. But Friday is into that 5G nanotech vaccine stuff. So <laughs> he pulls his rifle and destroys the robot. Yeah, ain't no Bill Gates going to give me his truth serum. Hey, he doesn't like the big corporations, Fox. And this oh starts God. a lockdown procedure of this automated f- space prison. Robo tanks show up and shoot pink freeze goo? goop and fire stasis pods at prisoners. They're going to shoot their goo and their st- and their pods all over you. Once more, Ooh. I have been shot by goo. Uh, <laughs> Why is all this goo on me? But they can't target Friday because he doesn't have an ID chip yet. And they, they're <laughs> You're never going to chip me, big government. <laughs> exactly. And their vehicles and stuff can't stand up against his awesome weapons. Sadly, they were meant for people without weapons. It's true. That's yeah. why we make weapons. Drop a space soldier into a prison. They're probably going to do pretty well, Fox. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, just making they, lemonade, right? Yeah. They can't climb the fences out the side of the prison. Um, because so, there's electrical? Yeah, they're electrified and stuff like that. Um, so instead, they go into the facility trying to fight their way through there. When they get Which caught has by a bunch of snake staplers? Yeah, they get caught by a bunch of ceiling tentacles with little pincers on the end. Even Friday gets caught in the pincies. Oh, but man, his, they really thought of everything. Uh, luckily, his helmet goggles find the tentacle computer and blast it so the men are free. So that didn't even last like a page. The men <laughs> have survived this trap, but the final door, which is just kind of a metal grate, to be honest, is too tough for them to blast through. And things get bad because suddenly a giant spiked ball comes Raiders of the Lost Ark and right towards him, Fox. I, I feel like... Like, did they just hire Acme to fucking make all the traps in this place? Definitely seems like it. These just out-of-the-box stuff. Luckily, Fox Friday's got a gun. Looks like a Nerf gun that shoots powerful <laughs> sonic darts that vibrate the door to the prison until it disintegrates Whatever. and the prisoners are free. They don't even really interface with that um, giant Then why boulder. didn't you just use that on the electric gate? Because... Electricity beats sound. I don't know these new Pokemon, Fox. I don't know what their what their new elements do. Yeah, okay. Sound Pokemon. Um. Anyway, Ooh. everybody goes to live in a nearby uh, native village, eating fish and being happy because the fish yeah. is always good here, unlike everywhere else. Well, I mean, you know, he was gonna go into that more, but then some orbs show up. Yeah, suddenly a bunch of Eggo Waffle orbs come <laughs> flying over the horizon. They are so much more an Eggo Waffle. 
they're blasting all these dudes because they got prison tags on their wrists that can find them. Buy ego, buy ego, buy ego. <laughs> Lego, my ego. Friday doesn't have one of these tags, so they aren't going after him. So he shoot, starts shooting them down, so they do come after him. But there's too many of them. He just basically just runs out of ammo, despite the fact that he's killing them pretty easily. In the end, he gets knocked into the sea. And in the water, he sees it, a giant dang spaceship surrounded by sea fish. Hey, wonder if, I uh, guess are the wonder main if kind like of fish. A, a half fish, half woman, um, the opposite way, right? It's the fish top and lady bottom um, has been keeping all of her uh, stuff that she got from the surface world there. I mean, you know. Look at this tech. Isn't it neat? Rogue Trooper something something complete. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get really sued, so I'm not going one. with you. No, listen, no. listen. I didn't think to do it, Fox. And so I'm jealous of your uh, of your, of your decision. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It seems the drones are after Friday following him underwater. Luckily, his helmet, computer, and goggles let him decode the flashing lights of the spaceship to let him get inside inside playing a little bit of like whatever simon yeah 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 yeah. he's playing yeah um perfection no no that's when you pull things out never mind yeah simon i think is your best one um inside the ship is made of an unknown substance as you'd expect from aliens but it lets friday in he sits on a bench that morphs to a chair and interface with the spaceship through a brain plug so he's kind of avataring here um it <laughs> seems the ship have a have a uh an interesting experience i'd also accept existence Ooh, okay yeah 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 yeah. i like that as well oh man it's like 95 that's close through the butt port mm. it seems that the ship is brain controlled or at least like as he connects to it he gets a sense of how the ship works i guess but the okay. drones are smashing into the sides of the ship and they're going to destroy it. He's got to get out of here. He hits a button that he thinks will make the ship take off, but instead of fires a billion lasers all over the place. <laughs> it obliterates. Hope that didn't kill all those sea fish those people need to eat. Nah. I guess they're all dead. Yeah, now they're flash fried. Um, it obliterates the <laughs> drones, but it also knocks the ship off the reef it was perched on. He's falling deep into the sea, into the abyss. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's probably pressurized. Next time on Rogue Trooper, the abyss. <laughs> it's a great film. Definitely, yeah, part of that 1990 wave of under underwater thriller movies. Was The Abyss the one where they had to have umbilical juice all up in them, amniotic fluid? Like, they had spacesuits underwater, and, mm-hmm. and they filled up with amniotic fluid? Possibly. Yeah. I wouldn't, was, I, I wouldn't put it past Cameron to... <laughs> To 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 figure it out to uh, to yeah, have well, that be his it, way. It was a real gross move because like it's like oh don't worry you're not gonna drown because all the pressure you got to drink this fluid in your lungs. Yes, like, confirmed. I don't know if that's how yes, that works. C- confirmed. They uh they drank amniotic fluid to be able to breathe underwater. It. It's gross. Anyway, <laughs> I, have no, I have no other responses, Fox. I don't know. I, mine is let's let's uh, let's give birth to a much better thrill. <laughs> hey, you know what Friday's uniform has a lot of, Fox? What's that, Conrad? Buttons. <laughs> <laughs> and since oh. we're suddenly talking about buttons so much, Fox. Oh my god! <laughs> let's go to thrill five button. 
man. I was really hoping at the start of this that he would have pushed the doorbell so I could say it started with a button. No, listen, I want to. OK, we we got him out of our system, Fox. I'll, I'll have I'll countenance no more button puns. No, it's true. I, I, I feel like it would be disrespectful to yeah, the quality of this. Exactly. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Arthur Ranson, letting robot Steve Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listen, th- that's literally what I said to you in our last award, in our last year in review episode when I said the name of this story and you laughed and I said you are being very disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> This is it, a thrill. Listen, I'm yeah. not going to say that I'll eat my words, but I will um, petitely consume some of them. Fair. This, this is a this is a great fucking yeah. process. This is a story uh, yeah. I've been looking forward to Real. for a long time. Definitely, John Wagner is the greatest Judge Dread writer. Definitely, also known for his non-Dread stuff, most notably for this thrill, the comic and later movie, A History of Violence. Arthur Ranson's got a really beautiful, super realistic oh, God, style. Yeah. Um, that I think really works. Full of tension and like mystery. You know what I mean? De- yeah. I mean, basically, the way he draws makes it look like you're watching stills from a movie instead of a, yeah. of, of, of a comic to me. Yeah, 100%. And I think it really works in a contemporary style like this. Although I also really like Ranson when he draws stuff like Judge Dredd or Judge Anderson because then the sci fi stuff is contrasting with the realism, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, okay. 30 minutes into the future. A man in a trench coat with blood running down his sleeve goes to the Riverside office of Dr. L.A. Spaulding. The blonde man pushes past a receptionist to meet with the bearded older doctor, demanding his time now. The doctor agrees and sends the receptionist home, letting the man into his office. And we see that he leaves a blood a blood-stained handprint on the doorframe as he does. Yeah. Kind of, you know, I got to give props to this, uh, this psychiatrist. He's like, like, hey, I got an opening in my schedule. Yeah, he's rolling with the punches, certainly. The man yep. introduces himself as Harry Exton, and while the doctor is just a psychiatrist, he definitely suggests that Exton get some medical attention immediately. Instead, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> instead, Exton pulls a gun, says his wounds are just a scratch, and demands to talk to the shrink. You see, I just can't stop killing people. Jesus. <laughs> we see Dr. Spaulding's lionfish float in a tank. As Harry, very, very well placed. I'm gonna say that because you can't touch a dang, dang lionfish. They poisonous as heck. Yeah, we'll talk about that actually in the course of the comic. But also, just generally, really pay attention to how Ranson draws um, animals in sort of the background and foreground. The course of uh, Button Man. It's really good. That's yeah. symbolism. <laughs> um, Harry says he's killed 19 people, including when he was a soldier and stuff. Uh, the voices won't let him stop, but it's not what you think, because it's part of something called the game, the killing game. And the players are called button men. The voices are the fixers that control that game. And Harry's one of them, a button man. He's heard about the game from his old friend Carl. They've been mercenaries together, but that job is drying up. Recently, Harry met with Carl, who's doing really well for himself, and learned about it. The voices tell you where to go, who to meet, who to kill. Carl warns that it's dangerous, but also very profitable. Harry didn't believe Carl at first until one night at at the farmhouse he was living at, 60 miles outside of London. He got a phone call at three in the morning and a voice on the phone said there was a man coming to kill Harry. And before he could ask any more questions, a rifle shot rang out. 
just missed, just missing him through the window of his house. God, that's a bad way to wake up. You want a midnight snack after someone's rang you, not a midnight uh, death experience. Wound. Yeah. The voice says the first shot was a warning, and now the man's coming after Harry. The only way he'll be able to survive is to kill this button man instead. A tough order since Harry doesn't even have a gun. Good luck, buddy. Harry hangs up the phone as multiple shots ring out, and he guesses correctly that his attacker is using a night sight. Suddenly, though, Harry remembers something as the killer switches from rifle to pistol. Harry rushes to a small room, opens a box of war memorabilia, where he finds a dagger and a pistol of some kind, actually. Mm -hmm. The killer moves around the house, taunting Harry when Exton shoots him from the shadows with an air pistol. Ooh, not enough to kill him. Yeah, right in the mouth. Definitely. And in the confusion after that, Harry's able to escape the farmhouse and make his way to the barn, dodging bullets. Gotta say, I love all of these night shots because everything's kind of cast in this um, this beautiful blue with lots of black. It's really neat when it's in the moonlight. Like yeah, just the very, changing of scenery. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very dark, shadowy, lit by 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 the moon and the stars. Here, you get a real sense of it. Mm-hmm. The killer's pissed to have been hit by the air pistol. He he would have he he could have just taken Harry's mar- marker, but now he's just going to kill him, or so he thinks. Because as he enters the barn, Harry cuts a rope which drops one of those like hay pulley system things onto the button man. Yeah, doesn't look like it's very comfortable. No, he's stuck in place. And then from the rafters, Harry pulls a pitchfork and throws it straight into the button man's chest. Uh, It's real bad. I feel like pitchfork is bad way to go. Seriously. The button man's having a real bad day. Harry jumps down. Grabs his uh, grabs his gun and says he'll help, he'll get him help if he gives Harry some answers. But before the button man can really talk, he dies. Exton checks his pockets, finding an envelope of cash. He heads inside and washes his hands. Oh, sorry, an envelope of cash and a cell phone. And as he heads inside, he washes his hands and his uh, landline li- uh, rings. Wait, no, the cell phone Shut- ring. One of them rings. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the to the shot of the um, kind of barn owl or that's this white owl flying away as he's like rifling through the guy's remains. And then the next shot you see of that owl, which is in the foreground, mm-hmm. uh, he's got he's got a mouse. He's got a mouse. Yeah, he's got a mouse in his. Yeah, the, the owl has a mouse in its beak as Harry is 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 checking the pockets of the button. Man, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. The voice on the phone is surprised that the button man is dead and asks for details. But you see, this was all part of the game. Ronald, the man Harry killed, hadn't been performing that well. So they sort of made a test to have him try to kill an unarmed surprise man. But instead, he he got killed himself. And that says something. So that's very... Uh, but even still, even if Harry was... Even if Roland was... If Ronald was down on his luck, Harry still killed him. That's impressive. So he can keep the 20,000 pounds he just found... And uh, join the game or listen. You can just explain how you came to kill this dude on your property. Think about it. I guess it seems like it'd be easy to explain. Like, I don't know, he's a burglar or something. But still. um, I'll tell you this much. This is the most exposition in a single page we get for this comic. And I read every single fucking thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it does a good job kind of setting things up. I don't know. Um, No, no, no. What I mean, it's just that especially contrasted to the next page where he's kind of dealing with the body. Like. Yeah, I was is, so excited to read the exposition because the dialogue gets the 
fuck out of the way of all of the action, which I really appreciate. Yeah, there's there are real se- there are sections where there's a lot of economy of language in in Buttman where we have pages that are just sort of panels of, of Harry doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, in this case, Harry thinking over the offer, gathering up Ronald's corpse and driving into the night, and then dumping him in the pond in a nearby quarry. Um, where he says it'll be assumed as just kind of a gangland murder kind of thing. The next day, Ronald's cell phone rings and the voice welcomes Harry aboard. Harry wants to meet the voice, but that's out of the question. And in the end, Harry agrees and the voice will be in touch about the next game. And as Harry agrees to join the game, in the foreground, there's a picture of a spider crawling on its web. Yeah, man, these voices are are sneaky. Good. Three weeks later, Harry is told to find instructions in the hollow of a tree five miles away. He gets the envelope, dusts it for prints, and the next day his mate Carl picks him back up. Harry's got Ronald's old guns, but Carl says they should ditch him and use the one he's got and suggests that Harry gets his own gun guy if he's going to be in the game. Just, you know, you don't want to get caught with someone else's guns. Lord knows what they've been used to do, you know? Yeah. They're off to go up against some Welsh guys at a uh, at like a big uh, forestry commission uh, 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 open space. Oh, and Carl is a dead guy in his trunk. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I want to show you the ropes. Introduce you to a dude. <laughs> they drop the body off at a nearby farm, where for a thousand pounds they toss the body into a giant grinder, and it's fed to chickens. Yeah, don't eat the eggs. Yeah, this is how you get foot and mouth disease, you Brits. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. That night, the lads are in camo, signaling the opposition with flashlights as the voices arrive in a helicopter to watch the um, festivities. The chopper lands. We see some rich guys get out. Harry's got camo face paint on and says, let's give him a show. Wouldn't want to disappoint the Toffs. Next time on Button Man, modern day gladiators. Man, I've got my theories already stewing in a cooking, but this is a damn fine thrill. This is grade A 100%. Yeah, I mean, I I really love this story. It really feels like a... uh, like I said, like a classic kind of uh, thriller movie, just being turned into a comic and put in the middle of this um, of the of this prog. It's really great. Um, yeah, and so I guess from le- but listen, Fox, you ca- we can't end on a high. All right, I gotta <laughs> gotta poke you down a little bit, and so let's finish things up with Thrill Six Future Jocks. Hey, man, it's well. Anyway, I'll let you get to it. Yeah. So there's only one Future Shock this time. Or so Future Shocks are one-off self-contained story. Stories usually built around a twist or a punchline. While some can be quite good, in general, they exist as both a proving ground for new artists and writers or just as ways to fill space when a prog goes short. Um, anyway, this story is called One-Way Ticket, script robot Brian Williamson, art robot Jeff Anderson, letting robot Pat Prentice. Um, and on the border between Madness and the Void, a bunch of space phantoms have at last found a way to get revenge. They've formed a host body out of space junk and are using the last of their powers to bring it to life to reap a harvest of human souls. They rush full speed to Earth and start wrecking up the place. But when they get there, all the humans they find are just mannequins. And this phantom bot reads a placard. Earth is now the Terra Museum. 
dedicated after humans abandoned Earth when it was rendered uninhabitable due to environmental reasons. On Earth, no one can hear you scream. Bam, bam, bam. Exactly. Listen, it's the perfect future shock. Only two pages. Mm -hmm. Mm. Great work, everyone. Over and out. (laughs) Two pages, decent art. This is basically because um, in Prague 780, there was that uh, Kev Williams prologue, Kevin Williams prologue to part two of ABC Warriors. That was a little shorter than a regular ABC Warriors. Hey, that's fine. This this did not overstay its welcome. Absolutely. I deem you acceptable, Future Shock. Yeah, and that's all you can really ask for, Future Shock. And that said, Fox, we've at last reached the end of our coverage of Prague 780 to 783. So I must ask you our traditional final question, which is what were your top and bottom thrills for these Progs? Oh, dude, I, I mean, this is the easiest thing. So I'll just get my special mentions. Dread loved it. Um, you know, I specifically I like the Almighty Dread story. That was quite funny. Um, Cola Commandos is on notice. Um, just in terms of like I, I need to understand what's happening here. I I like the goofiness, but it seems like there's just these two plots going on that need to converge. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I love ABC Warriors, but again, we're dipping far too into chaos. I know it's the heads for Hakate, but. I, I'm interested to see where it goes, right? Like, let's get the rest of these heads. Let's see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, Conrad. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait. So, oh. so I, I just want to see. So is, is Cola Commandos both on notice and your bottom? Or is ABC Warriors your bottom? Oh, no, no. No, no, no. Not, neither of those. Those are all special mentions. Ooh, okay. my top and bottoms are very, very clear. Top spot goes to this dang old fucking button man coming out the gate, getting Ooh. me on like excited and juiced up and oh god it's so great um the art you are right is fucking perfect i love the way that each of the like i shot compositions are done um great storytelling gets gets out of the way of the art you know the setup the setup was really fun um i really love uh um uh carl right mm-hmm. yes like, buddy. just as this yeah, character definitely. I I've already I've already got suspicions about the psychiatrist. Like there's tons of fun stuff to just kind of chew on in here outside of the scenery. Mm-hmm. And for my bottom baby, it's Rogue Trooper. Don't need it. This is dumb. <laughs> uh, not interested in this story in the slightest. I'm not like again. Like I well, I'll give it one high note because it is at bottom. Um, wacky dumb shit happened, and that's you know I do like garbage. But, you know, mm. this is this is a uh, we, we keep taking these long breaks for Rogue Trooper, which is great for me. But, you know, again, the story needs to hustle because it seems like it just keeps stretching on. It's like next time on Dragon Ball Z, everything still keeps being the same. I hear you. So that said, Conrad, now that I've successfully shit on the Blue Man group. I need to know and I must know. And I, I in fact, I require you to tell me what were your top and bottom. Friends? Oh, man. I mean. Listen, at the, Friday's only rarely the blue man group, for the record. Yeah, uh, no, he's just the blue man. Yeah. There's no ex- more group. Exactly. Um, for my top, I got to say Button Man. I love this story. It's one, like, this is one of these ones where um, I see it coming and I'm just very excited that we get to it and stuff. Um, God, so, I'm yeah. so glad that you said that's book one. That's so exciting. You know, to me. we'll get a bunch of parts, and actually, a bu- I, I should say, just generally, like 
we didn't really talk about in for the intro just how much of 2000 AD we've read. Um, like you're reading all this stuff for the first time, and I've read the first thousand progs or so. And there's a good amount of Button Man that I just haven't read. It's outside of the um, outside of that area. So we'll read it. We'll we'll read it together someday, buddy. Oh man, that's so great. Then we're gonna nerd out about it. Definitely. But for now, this opening is really cool. It just bring it really brings you in. And again, like I I've, I've said this twice already, but it really does feel like a movie. And you know, yeah. it's really cinematic in a way. That is different from your average 2080 story, I guess. Like, like they do some stuff like I this. Strongly with, agree with like narrations and prologues and stuff. But I don't know. It's got a different feel, I guess. Maybe because we know that like Harry's clearly like bleeding out as he's saying all this mm. stuff or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a it's a strong closing prog. Or a mm-hmm. thrill, rather. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this. Yeah, between the art and the action, this is a really great um, end of a end of an issue story for sure. Um, for so yeah, Button Man top, love it. I feel like it's sort of it's about it. It may be on the verge of kind of a residence in the top spot for the next uh, couple weeks. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. <laughs> um, in my bottom spot, listen, I don't want to. I don't want to discount anything you've said about Rogue Trooper, Fox, because <laughs> this story didn't what wasn't just sort of like the whateverness of Rogue Trooper and the tropes that we talked about. But it's also got the biggest trope of the Friday Rogue Trooper, which is that he's just got a backpack full of MacGuffins that let him instantly succeed in any situation that's thrown at him. <laughs> he's Felix the fucking cat. Like the only time he has difficulties with a problem is is when that problem is the cliffhanger for the issue, basically. Otherwise, <laughs> he needs a panel to fix anything that gets in his way. Uh, goo, no problem. Exactly. But but for my bottom, it's not my bottom though. All right, it's moderate. My That's bottom okay. is that dang cola commandos. Oh man, so this is this is where you're setting me up for for low expectations. I don't here, like bud. it. I don't – I listen, I've read ahead. I under, I have a vague idea of what's going on, Fox. It's not great. I'm not into this story. <laughs> and it can just get out of here. And it's not gonna. It's going to be around. So whatever. Speaking of long residences. Oh, goddamn Cola Commandos with two Ks. With two Ks. All right, that's enough. Uh, I just like I. I mean, I'll say the one thing for Rogue Trooper is that at the very least, we laughed a lot at it, especially about Ego Waffles. Like I, yeah, uh, no, I just Cola can't. Commandos is so flat. Like Rogue, I've got. I feel like I've got some jokes for, and I really like Ron Smith as well. Like like the artist. Mm-hmm. I don't like Anthony Williams as much um, in terms of art and stuff like that. So in the end, Cola Commandos is an easy pick for me to the point where I assume you picked it as well. When I, when I asked you about it there i i like it yeah i, I i'm putting it on notice it's its first because yeah. it because it's it, it's the first time i've seen it i don't want to just immediately yeah, no, shit I, don't on wanna, it, I don't want i don't want i just get sick yeah and i definitely don't want to tell you what to pick for the record like do what you want no no but that's but when you went out the gate when something comes out and it's its first showing and it's out the gate and you're just like nope i'm like oh god this is not going somewhere good. listen <laughs> I don't. I don't really even remember it all that much, but I did. I have done done some reading ahead, and I feel justified in my choice. All right, 
<laughs> so with all that done, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch at the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, go up spacespinner2000 and we should be there. And hey, if you'd like to uh, write us a rating or review in any of those places, we would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, come on. Yeah. This Tell show- people you like it. Don't yeah. be so embarrassed. It's fun. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zam Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you would like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Hey, and there's some pretty funny. Catch up with the boys. Yeah, and I'd also say that um, if you are suggesting this podcast to new people, um, why not get started with this one? It's a new listener episode. It's, you know, my goal at least is that folks will listen to this and uh, be like, oh, like, I, I understand what's going on. Anyway, come back next time, Fox. Okay. As we, as um, Joe Pineapples experiences some changes that I think you're going to like. Ch-ch-ch-changes! And at last, we've reached the next Judge Dredd mega epic, Judgment Ooh. Day. Okay. okay. Judgment Day will be a – is a crossover between 2008 and the Judge Dredd magazine. It'll be a crossover between Space Spinner 2000 and Big Meg 1. Awesome. It will have zombies. I like zombies. And the world – They're one of my most favorite forms of necromancy. Yeah, and the world – It'll have uh, a certain mutant bounty hunter from the future. Oh, ooh. And afterwards, the world will never be the same. I promise. I mean, they, it always ends up that way with these mega epics. I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about it. And until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splunk Dig for three.